too, so you might want to turn over there. If you watch the news or you read the news like I do, you'll see that our land is divided. I mean, there's division. We're divided by politics, by ethnicity, by ideologies, by religious leanings. We're even divided by sports teams. I mean, we're divided. Uh, and as you read the news, you'll see that there's a great animosity towards the the message of Christ. Uh, since Roe v. Wade, I, I read uh, weekly about churches that have been attacked and, and uh, um, spray-painted and, and things about that because they don't like what the church preaches, especially our message against sin because people want to live, uh, they just want to, they want to do what they want to do and they don't want to have any accountability. And they're so wrong because as R.G. Lee says, payday comes someday. The Lord's going to come back one day. So we, we, we need revival in our land. Um, one of the preachers we had at False Creek last year, his name was Shane Pruitt. Uh, Shane is uh, an employee of our North American Mission Board. He is their Gen Z expert, evangelist, excuse me, Gen Z evangelist. Uh, and he really does preach the Word of God. He's one of the few preachers that I've heard in the last 10 years that talk about repentance. Anyway, he was great. Um, and, and so I follow him on Facebook. And whenever I read what he says on Facebook, I know it's truth because he always backs it up with Scripture. Um, last week he wrote, our nation desperately needs revival. However, our nation won't see revival until our churches see revival. And our churches won't see revival until the people who make up the church see revival in their own lives. Revival comes from God, but it comes through his people. And then he said, wrote something else this week that uh, I just want to throw it in because this is what keeps us from having revival. He talks about church division. He said it's a privilege. Let me explain. When the church in America has the ability to fight and split over secondary issues, and preferences, it reveals how spoiled, rich, and privileged we are. We don't like to hear those words, do we? Churches in other parts of the world don't have the privilege of fighting and splitting over secondary issues because they're in the minority, under-resourced, and are sometimes even persecuted. They lay down their secondary issues and preferences to rally around the core essentials of the faith and band together as the family of God. They don't have the privilege to of dividing because unity is a necessity. Many of our privileges in the Church of America are going away, possibly in our lifetime. Then the true, true church will reveal itself and prayerfully will unite as the family of God for the glory of our King. And you may say, well, what are secondary issues? Well, um, among, even among Christians with a high view of Scripture, uh, we sometimes interpret the Bible differently and it becomes a a source of, of division. For example, uh, a primary issue in Scripture, God created the heavens and the earth. Amen? God created. Secondary issue would be how God did it. Sometimes people divide over that. Uh, another issue, the, the Scriptures are divinely inspired by God. God breathed, and, and that's a, a primary issue. How He did it, people divide over that. So we don't need to do that. But if we're going to have revival in our land, the church needs to be unified. We need to have unity in the church. Uh, but we need revival. Um, my favorite Christian group is Casting Crowns, uh, probably because they tell stories in their songs. And, and you know how I like stories. Anyway, this, this week I was listening, uh, I keep my radio turned most of the time to uh, uh, the message on Sirius XM. And so I listened to a steady stream of Christian songs. Well, this song from Casting Crowns popped up. And I'm a lyrics guy. Uh, I listen to the words. Sometimes because I've heard the song so often that I, the tune just, uh, it's more than just tune. I want to hear what the words say. 
And sometimes as you listen to music that's Christian, they never mention God, never mention Jesus, never had the word Lord. Uh, but Casting Crowns is one that their message uh, is about the church. And, and I want us to, to, li- to look at the words of the song. That's why I want you up close enough you can read them. I picked out a version that has the words. Now, some of the things will apply to churches that are a little bit more often, but the principle still applies to us. So there's a lot of truth in that song. Now, I don't know which one of us is the rock star preacher. <laughs> anyway, hopefully I'll keep you awake. Um, I want to ask a, a question. Um, if what you know of Christianity, uh, is, is that all there is? is are what normal Christian, excuse me, normal Americans experience, is that all God wants for us? Um, could there be more? Could, could we experience more? Could we see God do a, a mighty th- thing again in America like he's done in the past? Um, maybe you can remember a time when you were closer to God. Maybe you can remember a time when you were on fire for the Lord and you're not there anymore. I don't know. I, uh, I want us to look at a word uh, that, uh, a word we use all the time, but sometimes we've misused that word. It's the word revival. Uh, what's revival? Well, first, revival is not... Uh, a meeting where we come together, we have an evangelist. Uh, we call that a revival, but re- really a revival is not that meeting and where he preaches and people get saved. People will get saved in revival, and that's what, what when we have these services, these evangelistic series, that's what we want to happen, but that's not necessarily what revival is. Um, secondly, it's not an emotional feeling. Uh, some not, emotions are touched during revival, and, and oftentimes we long for those feelings we had in the past, um, I remember taking groups uh, of teenagers to Falls Creek when I was a youth minister a long time ago. That means a long time ago in Portuguese. I, just, just so you know that. That's what that meant. I'm sorry. Um, I, anyway, I remember how excited they would get, and, and they'd come back with all this emotion, but when the emotion faded, they didn't have anything else because oftentimes they didn't know the Lord. They just got the emotions, got to pick that pit, pick, uh, ramped up, Revival is not emotionalism. But I've got two very good definitions of revival. Um, The first one is revival is the extraordinary movement of the Spirit of God in the lives of God's people producing extraordinary results. I want to read that again. Revival is the extraordinary movement of the Spirit of God in the lives of God's people producing extraordinary results. Uh, By the way, the word revival means to bring back to life. Um, You can't uh, it, it's from a Latin word, vive or vivere, which means to live and relive, uh, bring back to life. You can't bring back to life what's dead. I mean, what's never been alive before. Uh, another definition of revival, uh, a simpler definition, revival begins when we remember from where we've fallen and return to our first love. Does that sound familiar to anybody? Yeah. Book of Revelation chapter 2. Uh, Martin Lloyd-Jones served for 30 years as the uh, pastor of the Westminster Chapel. That's not the Westminster Abbey. It's the church next to the, to, the chap, uh, to the Westminster Abbey. And it has hundreds of visitors every day. Uh, he wrote, I'm profoundly convinced that the greatest need in the world today is revival in the church of, of God. I agree. We need revival. We need to see our land changed. And it has to begin in us and the churches. What, I'm gonna, what we're going to do today is we're going to look at, at what God did in the first church and see some of those things that we want to see again uh, God do uh, a, an extraordinary work among his people with extraordinary results. Uh, so 
We're going to start with Acts 2. We're going to read verses 1 to 13, and then we're going to skip down to the end of the chapter. Uh, When the day of Pentecost had arrived, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like that of a violent rushing wind came from heaven, and it filled the whole house where they were praying, excuse me, where they were staying. They saw tongues like flames of fire that separated and rested on each one of them. Then they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in different tongues or languages as the Spirit enabled them. Now there were Jews staying in Jerusalem, devout people from every nation under heaven. When the sound occurred, a crowd came together and was confused because each one heard them speaking in his own language. They were astonished and amazed, saying, Look, aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? How is it that each of us can hear them in our own native language, Parthians, Medes, Elamites, those who live in Mesopotamia, in Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts, Cretans and Arabs. We hear them declaring the magnificent acts of God in our own tongues. They were all astounded and perplexed, saying to one another, What does this mean? But some sneered and said, Well, they're drunk on new wine. Revival is the extraordinary movement of God. Pentecost was a one-time event that happened, only one time. Uh, God began a new chapter in, in the world. He founded the church. Uh, 120 people were in a room, and the Spirit of God came upon them, and they began to speak the gospel in other languages. We know what the language is because it said all of those people that were there heard in their own language, and you heard all those places. I, I didn't count them up as I read them, but 10, 15 places people from all those places, and they all heard the gospel in their own language. God did an extraordinary thing. Uh, remember, this is the early church, and, and, and God's doing some, some great things. The people were hungry for more of God. There, there was unity. As you read through chapter 2, you see about the unity in the church. Um, the people were selfless. They, they gave to meet one another's needs. There was a lot of prayer and hunger for the teachings of the Word of God. And in the city, it says, at the end of chapter 2, there was a sense of awe among non-believers, and people were being saved daily. As you look at these things that went on in the church there in Jerusalem, you see those are the same kind of things that happened in the two great awakenings of America. The first one happened uh, in uh, 1730 to 1740, a 10-year period of great revival. Uh, The movement began in Western Europe, and it jumped the ocean with the preaching of, of men like Jonathan Edwards and George Whitfield and Charles Wet, West, excuse me, Wesley. And I want to read a quote. It began as a reaction against the increasing secularization of society and against the corporate and materialistic nature of the principal churches of American society. Does that sound like our nation? Increasingly, increasingly secularized, uh, increasingly materialistic, um, as a result of the movement, as a result of the preaching of God, one way they knew that it was a mighty work of God was because uh, the number of people joined the church skyrocketed. That was one way that they could tell that God was doing a work. Uh, how they could tell conversions was all the people that were joining. Um, as a side note, Baptists were one of those that was the greatest beneficiaries of the first Great Awakening. Uh, the number of Baptist churches increased after that, that first great awakening, uh, from 96 to, to 457 in a 40-year period. That's a lot. I mean, that's more than those churches doubling and tripling. Um, revival in New England, which is where it began, had an impact because the people moved 
from New England all the way down to the South. Uh, and that revival uh, 10-year period eventually resulted in the formation of the Southern Baptist Convention in 1845 because of all those people that were saved and came South. Now, do you remember, do you know why they divided into Northern and Southern? Slavery. Unfortunately, it's the wrong reason. But anyway, um, people's lives were changed. People began to to live their life that reflected their love for the Lord and their love for people. That's what happened when God did an extraordinary work. Um, and then the second one came uh, about 60 years later, 1800 to 1825, uh, 25 long years of revival, and God did a great work. Here's what happened. Now, we, we throw around the word Calvinism. We, we, we throw that out. We don't know a lot about what Calvinism means, but... Uh, there was another theological leaning that came through during that time, and it was Arminianism. And what Arminianism said was, people who hear the gospel can accept Christ. Calvinism says God chooses only certain ones. This emphasis that every person could be saved was spread across our land, and so people preached the gospel with fervor and gave these great uh, appeals, and people got saved. Uh, the second great awakening resulted in millions of new members, millions, and new denominations, and society was changed. I'm not going to take time to read about all the societies, but one, one, in one city, all the bars closed, and the police department formed barbershop quartets because they didn't have anything else to do. Oh, for that kind of movement in our land today. Uh, there was a, a, a revival in, in Wales, 1904 to 1905, um, and it touched the world. It was only nine months long, but it touched the world. Uh, but unfortunately, since 1905, excuse me, yeah, 1905, no great movements of God around the world, none. But here's what was going on, as I said, before the Second, uh, before the second Great Awakening, increasing secularization. Uh, one bishop wrote, every educated young man in Virginia whom I meet is a skeptic. Pastors and Christian leaders spoke of the dark times, and then revival came. Um, after the Second Great Awakening, I don't know who this guy was, but he was quoted, Alec de Tocqueville of, of France said, there's no country in the world where the Christianity where Christianity retains a greater influence over the souls of men than in America. An extraordinary work of God. I want to see that today. I want to see a land where we don't have all this craziness that we see, uh, where Guys think they're girls, and we have a, uh, a, a uh, society that we can't call women mothers, but a birth person, because somehow some, you know, it's crazy. It's crazy. It doesn't make sense. That's what happens when people get away from God. Uh, read it in Romans chapter 1. When people get away from God, what happens? God turns them over to their, to their foolishness, but we need a work of God. Uh, something about what happened in Acts. God came in there, and, 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 and the people preached the message. They shared the message of Christ in all these languages. Peter gave them a sermon and message, and, and thousands were saved, and they followed the Lord. And it was a movement of the Spirit of God. God did a movement among his people who were there praying. Uh, people got saved. Salvation is always a result of revival. Revival is God at work among his people. Now, God chooses when he's going to do revival, but oftentimes God responds to the prayers of his people. Uh, both great awakenings uh, began with uh, the people of God gathering together to pray. Uh, we know some the names of some of the great evangelists of the past. Uh, Moody was one of them, and um, 
um, the baseball player, what was his name? Um, anyway, my, you know who these guys are. Um, Moody was a guy, who was the, what was the guy's name? You remember? Yeah, Billy Sunday, that's right, Billy Sunday. Um, Moody went to many places in England and preached, and God did just marvelous things. One of the, one of the revivals happened in a little bitty church that was dying, and there were two little widow ladies that were sick that could no longer go to church. And they covenanted, covenanted, coveted, I, you know what I'm saying, covenanted together to pray that God would send Moody to their church. And so they prayed for a couple of years that God would send Moody and revival to their church. And somehow Moody ended up in this little bitty church, and God changed the city. God wants to work among his people, and we can co cooperate with them. One of the lines in the, the song reminded me of Second Chronicles 7, 14. If my people, which are called by my name, will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, I'll hear from heaven, forgive their sin, and heal their land. That's a promise. I know the promise was specifically to Israel, but I believe it's promised to us as well. If God's people will humble themselves before him, that's why I say revival has to begin in the church. If it doesn't begin here, it'll never reach it out there. We need to humble ourselves before God and repent of our sin and seek him. And then he'll hear and forgive and heal the land. As God does revival in the church, we can carry out the ministry that God has given to us, the mission that he sent us on to make disciples of all nations. And so that should be a call to us to pray, God, send revival. Send it in my life and then send it in the life of my church. Because what God did was an extraordinary work that resulted 3,000 people were saved on the day of Pentecost. Acts 2.47 says, And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. How'd that happen? Well, let's look with me at verse 42, Acts chapter 2. This is the church that's gathered, and they couldn't have all been in one place because there's 3,000 plus of them. They devoted themselves. That means they committed themselves. They, that was their priority. They devoted themselves to what? to the teaching of the Word of God, to, to fellowship. That means that common life they lived together. That's what that word koinonia means, that common life that they had. They devoted themselves to that common life, to the breaking of bread. Well, that means the Lord's Supper. That's worship. They devote themselves to hearing the Word, to, to the common life, to worship, and to prayer. That's what the church needs to be about. We don't need to do it half-heartedly. Uh, but when we do it, it changes us. In a couple of chapters later, I may have mentioned this this morning, I don't remember, um, in Acts chapter 5, Peter and John have been arrested. And here's what it said, we gave orders not to continue teaching in this name, and yet, what? You have filled Jerusalem with your teaching. How many people were there in the church that started? 120, and then 3,000, and then God added the number daily. And I don't remember how big Jerusalem was at that time. I, the number 150,000 comes to my mind. They filled the city with the teaching because God did an extraordinary work through his people who were devoted to the Word of God, who were devoted to the common life, the Christian life, the, the fellowship they enjoyed together, the, the, the building each other up and encouraging one another and, and the sharing of the stories, all that. that they were devoted to that. They were devoted to, to, to the breaking of bread, to worship and, and celebrating together uh, what Christ has done for them. And they're devoted to prayer. And God did an extraordinary work. Here's some things that we can expect when God sends revival because it means we need to, 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 to pray towards that end. Uh, God's word will be exalted. <coughs> 
and people will submit to his teachings. I long for that. I long for God's people to submit to his teachings. For every, if every person in Oklahoma that, that was a member of a church would humble themselves and submit themselves before God and place themselves under the authority of the Word of God, we would have a different Oklahoma. When God sends revival, there will be conviction of sin leading to repentance and salvation. Humility and brokenness will be evident. There will be delivered acts of reconciliation and restitution. No more division. Growing interest in prayer, joy among the people that the world can't offer, and evangelism will flourish just like it did then. Requires an extraordinary work of God and us cooperating with God that he might do an extraordinary work through us. So the appeal is this. Will, will you begin to pray for revival? Will you pray for revival in your life? You say, God, what does it take for revival to come in me? What does it take for God to come in revival in our church? It's got to start here before we can touch our land. Father, we all want to see our land changed and our nation different. We see a lot of the things going on, a lot of the foolishness going on, and we know it's of Satan. We know that people have been deceived and they've bought wholesale into to ideologies that are are straight from hell. And we want to, I pray, Father, for revival in our church, in, in my life, and in our church, that we, our little corner of Tulsa, we would begin to proclaim Jesus in a way that we've never done before. But I want to pray an even bolder prayer, not just for our little church, but for every little church in our city and in our county and in our state, that the people of God would submit to you and will humble themselves and pray and seek your face and turn from their sin so that you begin to do a mighty work in our state. And I pray for the churches of our nation that would see our nation turn to you. And again, we someone would say there's not a nation in the world where the touch of Christ has influenced more people than in the United States. And then that it would go to the church around the world and that your church would rise up. Father, we know that the time for your return is getting closer every single day. Every heartbeat that passes, we're one heartbeat closer to your return. And Father, there are lots of people in this world that we want to see come into the kingdom. So Father, deal in our hearts and lives so that we see revival in us and in our church and in our land so that we'll make a priority of telling others about what you've done in us and so they too can come to Christ. Father, we pray these things in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. Hey guys, didn't see you come in. Three more weeks and you're up the road. The 10th, oh, yeah.